Family, we're kicking off a new series. So 2023 is just getting going, y'all. We are only like leaning. We are only just like one step into what God has for us in this new year. But um, over the last two years, 21 and 22, um, in the past of grace, we have kind of balanced and we think healthily this idea of what you might call topical uh, versus exegetical study, meaning one is you just get into the word of God. You go like line by line, word by word, and you say, what's this saying to us? That might be called exegetical study. Topical might be, hey, you look at the culture you know, 2020, for example, we got a world pandemic. Like, what's the world need to hear right now? Let's look into the word of God, look at the culture, and let's, let's, say, let's see what it has to say. In the last two years, uh, we've had these long exegetical studies of John and Genesis. Who, who enjoyed those? Anybody get a little something, something out of those? Cool, and we're kind of feeling the vibe. We love to listen to our people. Again, this is a family thing, man. Jesse just made the comment, it's what we're going to do. We don't really subscribe to that. We listen, okay? You know what I'm saying? I'm just going to throw you under the bus again. No, I'm just playing. I love you. Now you're on like the whole way in, so I get to make fun of you all the time. Uh, and we heard that you liked that. So um, we're not going to start a whole year yet. Uh, we're going to dive into First Peter. First Peter, it's going to be a nine-week study through the letter First Peter. Uh, and we really believe that God is going to say something significant. Uh, and, and gosh, man, he already has this morning, so I'm excited. And, and because I'm worried due to my excitement, I might talk for two hours. I'm just going to pray to the Lord that doesn't happen. Or maybe it will, my brother Rich. You know what I'm saying? First service, someone said, do it. And everybody else said, no. <laughs> and I said, everybody get out. I'm preaching to him. I'm going to pray, and we're just going to give this time to God, and we're going to get right into Scripture, all right? Let's do it. Oh, Father, we just thank you for this morning. God, we just acknowledge that the fact that we woke up this morning, that we are breathing air we did not make, means we have experienced your grace already today. Father, your mercy is so good. We just thank you. We lift you up. We praise you because you're the only one worth praising. I pray for anybody who's walked in this room today feeling great, anybody who's walked in feeling heavy, anyone who feels awake, anyone who feels tired, anyone who feels free, anyone who feels burdened, this is the place for you. Jesus, we thank you that your spirit is here with us. God, I ask as we get into your word that you would illuminate it fresh to each individual one of us in a way that we walk out different than the way we came into God's house. We believe that you can do that, Father. So we trust you, we love you, we lift up the reading of your word to you that you would teach us something fresh today and that we may apply it to our lives to your glory. We love you, we trust you, we give all this to you and all God's people in their best acapella voices sang, amen. Come on now. Everybody now. All right. This hand's ladies, this hand's boys. Let's try it one more time. Come on, y'all. That's heaven right there, somebody. Let's get it. All right, we having fun in here. This is, this is God's place today. We about to give it to him. So here we go. Open up the first Peter. I really encourage you to be in this for yourself. Hey, if you do not have a Bible, oh my goodness, you're in a church. Talk to us. We will get you one. I promise you. Uh, if you're more of the digital Bible type, that's totally okay, um, other than being a dirty sinner. And uh, you can go ahead and I'm playing. I use my phone Bible every Sunday. I'm playing with y'all. Playing with y'all. Go ahead and Google 1 Peter. That is the page, okay? But I really, really want y'all to be in this for yourselves because Phil can can say the word of God to you, and that is wonderful, and yet there is so much more power in you reading it for yourself. 
I mean, it's his word, not mine. So I want you to be in this thing for yourself. I want you to be looking at it yourself, highlighting, underlining, all that good stuff, okay? So we are in 1 Peter, we're moving into this, and before we get into chapter 1, we want to talk about some background and some context. Uh, If you've heard any of our pastors preach, of my Grovians hear this all the time, like I'm huge on context. Uh, Here's why. Context changes content. Context changes content. The who wrote it, the why they wrote it, the when they wrote it, the where they wrote it, the the even situations around the need to pen a letter is going to completely change what it says. This is why 10 churches can read the same passage and come come up with 10 different theologies, many of which may not be the heart of God. And would we argue that there's a lot of churches, unfortunately, nowadays that are not preaching things to the heart of God? They're taking passages that clearly do not mean certain things and saying that they do because why? We're filtering it through our lenses, not why and who it was written to. So we want to be diligent and obedient. How about that? Obedient in our reading of scripture. I hope you know you can be disobedient and read the word of God. We want to be obedient. We want to be diligent. We want to make sure we're reading this with the intent and the heart that God had it because when you hit that heart, that's when it changes something. So we're going to do that. So some context here. A background of 1 Peter. We know Peter well, right? We talk about this dude all the time. He's an apostle. He's one of the 12 disciples. Uh, This dude did amazing things, right? Like this is the guy that dropped uh, everything. Like he literally physically dropped his nets, followed Jesus. That that is his livelihood. That's his money. That's his job. He drops everything and he follows. He's the dude who walked on water. He gave the epic speech at Pentecost in Acts 2 where like effectively like heaven falls on everybody and things are just going wild. And from that, the church... Uh, uh, post-Jesus is born. He's the one who acknowledged Jesus as the Christ. Like Peter's the one that looked at him and was like, man, you're the Christ. Where else would I go after everyone else had walked away? This is the dude we're talking about, and yet this is also the dude who regularly screwed up following Jesus. He fell into the same water he was walking on. <laughs> he, gave, he might have given that speech, but just shortly before that, he denied Jesus three times. He's the dude that straight chopped the man's ear off and then got rebuked. He's the dude that Jesus literally looked at and said, get back from me, Satan. And the one thing I love about Peter is that why he's bold and he's faith-filled and he's courageous, he's also relatable. This is not some far off figure we look at and we think, well, this is almost like a fairy tale, bro. You just did everything right. You're like the knight in shining armor. No, 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 no. I look at him and think, I feel a lot like you, bro. I feel a lot like you. Like one day I am on my high Christian horse just riding it. And I'm like, Jesus is amazing. And I'm trusting in it. I'm getting in my word. And then the very next day, I'm just wallowing in self-pity by the end of the day. Anybody? And Peter, Peter's just that guy for us. Peter's just that guy for us, so I can't help but think about who Peter is. And as we dive into his first letter, it makes me want to listen to him. He made mistakes. He got stuff wrong. He got stuff really right. But every time he came back stronger and followed Jesus better, so I want to listen to him because I feel like so often that's me. So all these things said, when this guy, the one that wrote this letter, writes something, we listen. Amen? 
So let's just get into just a little bit of historical context. This is Peter's first letter that we at least know of that's been put into our good book here. It was written between about 62 and 64 AD. This is after Jesus' death, which is right around 30 to 33 AD. Unlike most of Paul's letters, the reason I reference Paul is because so often when we study the New Testament, whether or not you know it, you're reading Paul. Paul wrote uh, close to the majority of the, he's the most popular writer, that's for sure, but wrote, wrote close to the majority of the New Testament. Paul's letters, interestingly though, I think all, maybe minus one, were written to specific churches. They were written to specific contexts, specific people going through specific things. They had specific problems. They had people they had to deal with, all this good stuff. So when we read certain letters like Corinthians or Ephesians or Galatians, and Paul's writing to certain churches, when we talk about context-changing content, we have to read Paul's letters in an understanding of who he's writing to. Because if we don't, then we have to be careful that we might actually be reading it wrong. Uh, a good friend of mine has a, has a quote I've taken with me uh, as I study the word is that the word cannot mean to us what it never meant to them. The word cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. So we have to study context. So I say that because Peter, on the other hand, did not write to a specific church. This letter is not geared towards one church with one specific pro set of problems or, or trying to address certain circumstances. A slightly different Peter is writing this letter to the persecuted church as a whole. Multiple regions, five in fact, that he, he no notes in verse one, um, that are specifically persecuted individuals. People going through hard things, people dealing with struggles, people that, that, that their lives don't necessarily look all honky-dory in the moment. And, and through these regions, this letter is supposed to be able to be circulated amongst them and be relevant to all. So the context is important of who he's writing to, specifically the persecuted church. So while uh, there isn't a consistent context, there is a consistent theme. And the consistent theme is this, standing firm amidst persecution. That's why we named the series Stand Firm. And when we think about this victory vision and season that we're in here, standing firm is a huge part of experiencing victory. Standing firm when things don't feel great, aren't easy, aren't, aren't all just like Instagram perfect, is going to be a huge part of actually experiencing victory because if we aren't able to stand firm when the winds and waves of life come, we will often and inevitably feel as if we're losing. It's not hard to look into the world we live in and even church, the church culture, not necessarily grace, but the church culture as a whole that we live in and say that it seems as if many are experiencing loss. It's not to say loss isn't real, and we'll get to that. It is to say that it doesn't have to be our experience here. And maybe you've experienced loss in the past. Maybe those struggle, the persecution, what we're going to get to, these people walking through hard things. Maybe that is, is what you feel like now. Maybe you haven't gotten there yet. Well, let me lovingly protect you and warn you, you will. So it's important for us to be people rooted in a way that we stand firm in the victory of Jesus no matter what. And that's why the series is called Stand Firm. And as we get into this scripture, we're going to be in verses 1 through 12, uh, and we're going to kind of study it top to bottom. Um, we, we want to study this uh, with that in mind. The same way four to six months ago we launched this idea of victory, this vision of victory. Let me just ask a question. As we've unpacked this idea of victory and dove in together and talked about hard things, has there anybody in the room that's walked in a little more victory recently? 
Anybody that's walked in a little more victory recently? Yes. And the beautiful thing is it was similar in first service. About 25% of the room said, yeah, that means we got work to do. You want to know why it's available for every single person in every single seat? He's not picky. He doesn't choose favorites. And the cool thing is the times I'm not feeling like I'm experiencing the victory that God has given to me, I know and trust it's right around the corner if I trust him. If I'm sticking with him, if I'm pursuing him, if I'm staying close to him, it is close to me. Listen, fam, much of our faith is not just enjoying the times when things are good, but standing firm when they're not. And that's where we're going this morning. That's where we're going this morning. So much of the letter we're about to study for, I think, about nine weeks is addressed specifically to believers walking through significant trials, significant persecution, pushed back from a pagan culture. Sound familiar? And cultures and a king and kings who demanded that they worship other things. I'm not talking about like getting on social media or reading the news and it makes you feel weird about your faith. I'm talking about people who demanded you worship other things. That's who we're talking about here. So if you're in this room this morning and you're going through something hard, you have areas or people in your life that aren't on board with your faith, even push back against your faith. Listen to me. These words are for you. Not for somebody else. They're for you. And if you are in our culture at all, these words are for you. So we're going to break this down section by section. Uh, I encourage you to have your Bibles out. Uh, I want to introduce a kind of teaching uh, formula for you called whole to part learning and part to whole learning. It's something we talk a lot about as pastors because we understand the way, like, like speaking as much as it's Holy Spirit led and should be that, it's also an art in many ways, right? And the, like I could say all the most amazing things in the whole world doesn't mean you retain any of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I get off and I'm exhausted and sweaty and nobody learned anything. There's ways we can teach people effectively. We like to talk about whole to part learning and part to whole learning. Let me tell you what each of these is. Hold apart learning is that you get the whole picture. You need the whole picture. I think this is my ladies. I'm going to be honest with y'all. I think this is how women think. It's how your brains are. My wife's like this. You, need, you want the whole picture. You want the whole picture, and then we can do the rest. And if you're not with me yet, okay, me and my wife, when we go on vacation, she wants an entire agenda before we even leave the house. Like, we haven't gotten on a plane. We haven't gotten anything. She wants the whole agenda. What are we doing? When are we going? What are the addresses? Do we have reservations? What's the hotel? You know what I'm saying? All the, all the good stuff. Um, and I'm like, get on the plane, be quiet, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> and then we do it her way. <laughs> but that's a whole to part learner. I want the whole thing, and then give me the steps, okay? And then part to whole learners, I learn this way. I want you to break it down little bit by little bit and get me there. I want you to lead me to that whole piece. So then at the end, I'm just like, yeah, I understand, Okay. I think a lot of boys, my men in the room, we function that way, partly because we're lazy. You know what I'm saying? We don't even want to think about the whole picture. Let's just go, okay? So I'm going to give you a little of both today, a little whole to part learning, a little part to whole learning, okay? So we're going to be in verses 1 through 12, 1 through 12. Uh, here's your whole. Here's your whole. There is a content, I think a primary content from these first 12 verses that circle around one idea, and the idea is this, trials. Trials. And I think there's three things that trials reveal, and I'll give them to you right now, and there's going to be slides for each. Trials reveal the genuineness of your faith. Trials reveal the object of your faith. And trials reveal the fruit of your faith. Genuineness, object, and fruit, and we're going to touch 
on each of them. So let's get into some scripture and let's start breaking this puppy down. I'd encourage you to be in your own Bibles, but I'll be reading it to you and it'll be on the screens. Here we go. Verse one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Does anybody want some of that? Verse 3. Praise be to God and Father the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Can we just pause? That is the entire gospel. Verse three right there is the entire gospel. Like if you walk into this church and you're like, hey, what, what do you guys believe? What do you think? What are you about? Bang. Like First Peter verse three, go read it a million times. If you came into church for the next 70 years and all you ever heard was this verse, it should be enough. Beautiful, I'm gonna read it one more time. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse four, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This power, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These, listen, listen, verse seven's huge. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Hmm. I feel like we, we could have three messages just off these first seven verses. So Peter here, he's talking to these persecuted Christians, and, and he starts talking about their trials and how it has proved the genuineness of their faith. Which is interesting because it's almost as if, and we could argue is, as if it's implying that the trial the trials, the struggles, the hard things in life that you, that you are currently walking through, that we have been through, that we will go through, is an avenue to seeing or revealing something. My first point is trials reveal the genuineness of your faith. Now, I'm going to pinch this in the butt real quick. Is that a phrase? Is it pinch in the bud? Pin, nip it in the bud? Thank you, thank you. We're going to rephrase it. We're going to pinch this in the butt real quick. Hey, man, this is called evolution. I'm going to nip this in the bud. Thank you, sister. As you read this, I would venture to think that there's certain people that immediately read it and thought, that means if I've struggled through a hard time, I don't have faith. Not saying that. Not saying that at all. Let's get that out of the way really quick so that we can unpack this in a healthy way, okay? That's not where we're going with this. So as we know, Peter is writing to these persecuted groups of Christians, and he starts, oh, this is so crazy. He starts the letter by reaffirming what they have, not what they're lacking. The entire letter is to people going through hard times. And he does not start the letter 
like, woe is you, I know you're going through a hard time, like, like I mean, just praying for your situation. No, 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 no. He spends the, the thick of it reaffirming what they have in Jesus. He says things like, praise be to God, in his mercy he gave you new birth. He gave you an inheritance that can never fade, a.k.a. no matter what happens, it's not going away. It says you are shielded by God's power. This is interesting because he's saying this to people who might not have felt shielded. You know, so often if hard things come into our life, we feel like the shield of God disappeared or something like that. He's still shielding them. He's still covering them. He's still over it. He's still in control. And Peter says that, like, like you're shielded by God's power. And even more, that salvation is coming. Pause. First little mini side note. This is the order of how we should live our life. This is the order of how we should live our life. Like we should wake up in the morning, speak words, act in ways, think about things that remind both ourselves and others of what God did, who we are, and what we are promised. Now, I want to be clear that, that we mourn with those who mourn, right? We weep with those who weep. This is not a call to be insensitive towards other people. But what this is a call to is to get your priorities straight. Because you could be going through the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst, and the truth of the gospel is still for you. The truth of Jesus Christ on the cross hasn't changed. The truth of salvation when you are done this little tent of a bodysuit is still for you. That's still the truth. And I wonder how beneficial it would be for us to start battling hard things rather than saying, boo-hoo me, I know your situation's hard, but to remind ourselves of what God has already said about it. What if we started fighting depression with what God says about you? What if we started fighting loneliness with the word of God saying, I'll never leave or forsake you. What if instead of like needing to go right to like, ah, just, I know it's hard and I know whatever. Hey, real quick, before I give you a hug, can I just tell you who you are? Can I just remind you of what God gave you? Oh, you're feeling lack right now. You're feeling like you've lost some things. Can I remind you that you've been given something that can never fade? That's for you. That's yours. Now give me a hug. What if we started combating things differently? Peter, listen, God didn't give me this until first service. Peter wrote this letter ready for war. And what did he start with? He knew they were going through hard things. He knew they were walking through crap. He knew that things weren't good. And he did not, he did not start this Holy Spirit inspired letter that ended up in our Bible by saying, hey, I know things are really, he didn't even acknowledge the devil. He didn't acknowledge the struggles yet. He didn't acknowledge the problems yet because he said, let me remind you who you are. Let me remind you what he's done. And we'll get to the other stuff. We'll get to the trials. Those are real. Those are hard. But you know how much better he is? Uh, Ben, in our pastor's meeting, he gave this example of a neurology study he had read. A neurologist is a person who studies the brain. And this this study... uh, and they had whatever science stuff behind it. I like that stuff. And uh, it said that the most important time for your brain and your formation going forward are the things you think a couple minutes after you wake up and a couple minutes before you go to bed. The most important part of forming who you will be in the future are just those few minutes when you wake up and when you go to bed. Let me ask you, what are you thinking about? What are you filling your head with right when you wake up? What are you filling your head with right before you go to sleep? Let me challenge you, is your, is your phone in front of you for both? Is the news in front of you for both? Is Netflix in front of you for both? 
Or are you starting your day the way Peter started this war? Are you starting your day the way Peter says that we should be formatting our lives? I'm guilty of not doing this all the time, but I can say uh, from a few years ago, I heard a Francis Chan sermon talking about the same exact thing. And he was like, how do you expect to survive and thrive in this Christian life when you wake up and fill your head and day with everything else first? And praise God, since that, Holy Spirit convicted me so deeply, the first thing I do every single morning is I grab my phone, I swipe straight to the Bible app, and I read some scripture. Every morning, first thing I do when I wake up. I shouldn't say every, that could probably lie, most. We're all humans. It's almost as if science consistently backs up things God already said thousands of years ago. (laughs) But we see this letter started out with encouragement and positivity, and like we said, this letter, the context is written to tons of actively persecuted people, a.k.a. life sucks in their physical realm. And I think, I think some of our Western culture, and I say our because we are not immune to this church, we fall into it a lot, our Western culture of comfort, find what makes you happy, our state sign says it, it makes me want to kick it down every time I drive into Pennsylvania, You do me, I'll do you. These mentalities, it would lead us maybe to think that Peter is either out of touch or insensitive here, right? It doesn't feel insensitive if you're walking through a really hard time, you're upset, you're crying, you're going through something, someone walks right up to you and just starts spitting positivity at you. You're out of touch, man. You don't know what the world, you know how many people I've had say that you don't know, man, the world's ugly, bro. Yeah, I'm not looking at the world, bro. (laughs) You want to know what's beautiful? I can show you him if you want. And yet I can think of, gosh, faces come to mind of conversations. I mean, I will just admit this. I tend to be a very positive person, okay? You know, that might not be a secret. And yet, and yet, I would wish that for all of us, but I can think of conversations of people going through stuff where I I try to reaffirm who they are in Jesus, where I try to give them the positive perspective of things. Like, hey, I know you're going through this, man, and I'm here for you. But like, have you thought about it this way? Have you thought about maybe he's working something in you? Have you thought about maybe like that relational turmoil you're dealing with? God wanted you out of that because it was toxic as all get out. And then whatever it might be, man, some of y'all, and and, and whatever it could be, and yet I've had people, I, I look at me like I'm crazy or something. Well, how insensitive are you? That amidst my circumstance and what's going on, you're just trying to feed me some positive stuff. You're trying to talk to me about God or something. Like, you're out of touch, Phil. We could be tempted to think about Peter that way, starting the letter this. And I think, I think like, if we were to ask the question, how was Peter able to write to these people and, and start the letter with all these good and great things that God has happened? And I think the answer is because family, he's not out of touch. He's more in touch than many of us have ever been. He was so in touch that he could look straight past the crap and see the beauty. Straight past the hard and see how God is working it. I want to remind you that Peter was not new to suffering. After Jesus ascended, which this is written uh, 30 years after he ascended, Peter quickly became the recipient of tons of hardships in his faith. If you read through the book of Acts, you can see him get arrested. You can see him get thrown in, in prison and ship all this stuff, all these hard things. He gets like attacked by people, beat, all this stuff, and eventually he's crucified upside down. You want to know why he was crucified upside down? Because when they went to kill him, he said, I'm not worthy to die the same way Jesus did. Peter was not new to suffering. So how can someone going through such trial focus so heavily heavily on the positive and God's goodness? It's because his faith was genuine. These trials 
had proven the genuineness of his faith. Look at what verse 7 says. These things, these things have come. These things have come. These things have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is worth more than gold, by the way, may result in praise, glory, honor, when Jesus is revealed. Listen, trials will test and reveal how genuine our faith in Jesus is. I want to test some waters here if I haven't already. I have the privilege because of my position to walk with people through a lot of hard things. Um, and I love that. I genuinely love that. I feel like God made me for it, built me for it. It's interesting. First of all, y'all pastors like to hear encouraging things too. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if life's going great, email us and be like, life's so good and God's blessing us like crazy. Yeah, I want those emails. That's not usually the ones we get and that's okay. That's okay. And walk with people through hard things. And I'm looking at Chris Sissick, who is an expert at this, walking through people in, in, with hard things. And, and yet I have to tell you through the years of this at this point, when I see someone who, who I love and who loves Jesus to, to you know, some extent, whether they're new in the faith or they've been in it for a while, but they do, they love Jesus, they're trying to follow him. When I see them go through something hard and their faith seems to immediately evaporate, I'm gonna be there for them. And yet... I'm somewhat glad it's happening. I'm gonna explain that. I'm gonna explain that. Because it exposed, I believe, that their faith probably wasn't in the right place. It is exposing that there's a level to which the genuineness of their faith is, is being revealed. And listen, I don't say this in a condemning way. I actually say this in the sense of this being beautiful because God uses this intentionally to mature us. And when I see someone going through a hard time and their, their faith in God's being tested or maybe even wavering significantly, while of course I'm gonna encourage them, I'm gonna love them, part of me is like, oh my gosh, maturation is right around the corner. Growth is right around the corner. Oh, I'm so ready for it. I know this sucks right now. I know this is hard, but do you know how much stronger you're gonna be in a month? Do you know how much stronger you're gonna be in six months if you lean into this, if you fight this, if you, if you like give God priority even when you don't want to, even when it's hard? And I think so much of our trials in life are for our maturation and running from them causes us to miss it. Let me encourage and challenge us in something. Maturity has never been gained by avoiding something hard. Maturity has never been gained by avoiding something hard. I have... Um, friends and family members in my life who I love dearly and yet I look at their life and their whole life has been avoidance. It's just running from one thing to another and the interesting thing about running from your problems is that when you get there, there you are. Another thought on trials and being tested that came out of our pastor's meeting, Jeff gave this one. He had a cool perspective. He said, he said it's interesting because as I've grown and matured and experienced things, um, when I'm going through something, I actually, in, I like when people bring it to my attention that I'm being tested. I like when a brother or sister says like, you might be being tested right now. You know why he said he liked that? Because when you're aware you're being tested, you wanna pass the test. You're aware that you need to study a little bit. You're aware you need to put some work in. And here's another reason we should wanna pass the test. What happens when you fail a test? You take it again. I wonder how many of us have run from a trial, wonder why it happens again and again and again and again and again and again. It's because we haven't passed the test yet because we keep running away from it. Hey, relational problems are gonna follow you till you deal with them. Joy's not gonna just pop up in your life till you deal with the hard stuff. 
Peace won't just be dropped on your face until you deal with the areas giving you anxiety. See what I'm, you see what, like when we're being tested, we have the opportunity to step in in a way that, that others can see Jesus through us in it. But more importantly, like for me, when I'm walking through a test, I, I want to walk through that test, not always willingly, but I want to walk through it. Why? To prove to myself that my faith is genuine. To prove to myself this thing's real. You know how encouraging it is to me when I walk through something hard and God just does his thing and I can look back and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I ever doubted this. You want to know the number one people who doubt faith are the ones who run away from problems and never let him do it. If you aren't sure that I'm right about this idea that trials reveal our genuineness of our faith, it's all over the Bible. Abraham had to almost kill his only son but was willing to do it for God. We see Moses leaving power and wealth and comfort to lead God's people in a desert for 40 years. David had to be a shepherd, fight a giant, run away from a murderous king for years ever be, before ever becoming a king. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 just summarizes this for me. For our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs all of them. Trials reveal the genuineness of your faith. This isn't a condemning thing. This is an encouraging thing. This is saying like, man, if something's chipping away at you right now, God's saying, cool, I wanted that gone. Trials will often expose this to us. So let me ask you, Grace family, and this is an us thing. This is an us thing. I've been asking myself these questions, not in a judgmental way of even myself, but in a loving and challenging way. When life seems upside down, do you lean more into Jesus or walk more away from him? Because that tells a story about your faith. So let's be asking ourselves this tough question. What does my response to trials say about my faith? What does my response to trials say about my faith? Because trials, we see so clearly here, reveal the genuineness of them. Let's keep going. Verses 8 through 11. 8 through 11. That was all out of seven verses. That was like 20 minutes of expository preaching. We love it. Verses 8 through 11. I love it. <laughs> Speak for y'all. Verses 8 through 11, let's get into it. So right after he talks about this idea of uh, proven genuineness of faith through trials, verse 8, he says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. Oh, the Bible's so full of just direct, like, like showing us where to go. Like, hey, I'm not just going to leave you hanging. Check this out. And he does this here. Though you have not seen him, I'll explain, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I want that. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets, and this is, we're about to get into them, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. The glories that would follow. Peter, after this word of truth that trials can literally prove how genuine your faith is, like they can be this avenue of maturation for you. Like they can, they can actually like, like open something up about you that you didn't realize about yourself that, oh my gosh, I really need to grow in this area. And I've had this happen to me who knows how many times at this point. Right after he does this, says those things, he goes right into why these persecuted Christians were able to have grace and peace, trust God's promises, even greatly rejoice amidst their circumstances. 
The very first words of verse 8 are, even though you have not seen him, you love him. We've already seen that their faith is genuine, but now what do we see? We see the object of that faith. Trials reveal the object of your faith. This is the one I want you to take home. If you take any of these three points home, I want you to latch onto this one because this one is so applicable, so tangible to every single person in this room. Here's the thing. It's not about lack of faith. It's about misplaced faith. I don't like the corners of Christianity where we do this thing where maybe we do it unintentionally or intentionally where we shame people for lack of faith. Well, if you had more faith, you'd be experiencing this. If you had more faith, you'd see healing. If you have more faith, you'd be more joyful and more peaceful. If you just had more faith, can I suggest something? All of us have similar amounts of faith. It's about what they're in. You could be someone who's brand new to church in here for the first time or the third time, you have the same amount of faith as me. We just got faith in different things. I'm no better than you. I'm no more magically strong than you or anything like that. It's about the object of our faith. Everyone has it. It's about what it's in. That same person you accuse of having a lack of faith has a ton of faith that their team will win the game. Oh, we paint our faces and buy the $100 jerseys and buy the $100 tickets and spend $70 in food there and then we cry when they lose. That's called faith, by the way. Oh man, yeah, you, you know, I, I, mean, I hate when people mock religion and they're like, I can't believe you're religious and you believe in that. You believe in your TV a lot because the minute that thing wasn't working, you'd be all distraught. Well, you believe in your video games, man. You play a lot of them. Well, how about this? That person that you say uh, lacks a lot of faith, well, they got a lot of faith in their skincare routine. Because we do that every morning and we take it off every night. You got a lot of faith there, do we not? Do you see how there's just levels of faith? That same person with a lack of faith has massive faith that money's important. So you go to work every single day. And, and we invest in Roths and 401ks in the stock market and you waste money on DraftKings for no reason at all, but you struggle to give money in church. Oh, but you don't got faith. We all got faith. It's about what it's in. Every person in this room's got faith in something. Uh, like, it doesn't faze me when people are like, man, you're religious, you got faith in God. Yeah, you got too much faith in that peanut butter and jelly sandwich you made at lunch. How you know it is not gonna kill you? It doesn't phase me. I just got faith in the right thing. I just got faith in the thing that doesn't let me down over and over and over and over and over again. Go ahead and mock me for believing in Jesus, the only one who's never let me down. While you've gone relationship to relationship to relationship looking for purpose and failed every time. It doesn't bother me. It shouldn't bother you either. Everybody's got faith. What's your faith in? What's the object of your faith? You, you see where I'm going with this, clearly. Everyone's got faith. It's about the what, the object. And as we look at Peter's words to persecuted, struggling people, he's actually first and foremost encouraging them that the, the proven genuineness of their faith is real. But since they're able to withstand the trial, it's obvious their faith is clearly not misplaced. Hear me. I wonder how often we crumble under circumstances, not because of lack of faith, but because of it being in the wrong thing. You believe in a lot of stuff. We all believe in a lot of stuff. And yet, and yet, there's one thing that's called the firm foundation. All other things are sinking sand. How about this? All other things are sinking sand. I believe it says.
here's the truth, relationships are great. They're even of God. They're from God. If it has the ability to leave you depressed, your faith might be misplaced. Making money is wonderful, but if losing it all would destroy you, your faith might be misplaced. Being successful and prominent is fantastic, but if the success defines you, your faith might be misplaced. Listen, family, hear this, please. Anything, if there is one solid foundation, everything else is sinking sand, everything else is sinking sand, then anything that has the capacity to cripple you may be a sign of misplaced faith. And I want to suggest that the only thing that should have that capacity in our life is Christ. I'll say it one more time. Anything that has the capacity to cripple you may be a sign of misplaced faith. And I want to suggest that the only thing that should have that capacity, that bandwidth, that power in our life is Christ. Now I want to be clear on this. This is not a call to be apathetic and distant from everything around you. Like, well, Phil, if that's what you're saying, then I'm going to lock myself in my bedroom, read my Bible 24-7 until I die in three days. No, that's bad too. <laughs> that's a miserable way to live too. I'm not saying be apathetic, be distant. I'm not saying to, to not love. Like, listen, we're called to love deeply, right? We're called to care consistently. We're called to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. Literally, the word tells us bear each other's burdens. That's talking to believers so clearly. We're meant to invest and to love and to feel these types of things. There will be times of loss, trouble, and mourning. I'm not saying that means your faith is misplaced. But listen, I am saying there's a clear difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. There is a clear difference between a moment of feeling down and a lifetime of feeling defeated. And when the Christians that got this letter, uh, them is our witness. I love Hebrews. It says that since we have such a cloud of witnesses, we should endure, right? Since we have a cloud of witnesses, we should run this race that we're talking about. And, and these Christians from 1 Peter as our witness, their situations could have easily had the capacity to cripple them. Easily. Probably much more so than our situations. And yet, what were they doing? Were they crippled? No, it says they were rejoicing. They had grace and peace. They were celebrating and trusting God's promises and expectantly waiting the glories that it will bring. Do you see the difference? Trials reveal the genuineness of our faith so that we can mature, but then they also reveal the object of our faith because as long as our faith is in misplaced things, it will never bear the fruit it's supposed to. Oh, let me just ask that question because that's point three anyways. How, like, you want to know, you want to know if you're facing the right stuff, what's it doing for you? I just, I feel like I just want to preach on relationships for some reason. So I don't know, I didn't even do this first service. So I don't know if that's, it's for someone in this room. But my goodness, if you are 12 hours of your waking day thinking about a relationship, past, present, or future, you, you, your faith is misplaced. That ain't going to do squat for you. You got one relationship that can do everything for you constantly. Do you hear what I'm saying? I tell my wife all the time I love her to death, but I'm like, if you died, I'm gonna be, I'd be good. I tell her I love you, there'd be a mourning season. But my faith's not in you. I'm going to meet you one day in heaven. We're not going to be married up there. We're just going to be praising Jesus. So I'm not going to let, like, the ups and downs of our relationship, I'm not going to let whether or not you're here dictate my whole life. It can't. 
because you aren't my whole life. And it's interesting to me, it's interesting to me, family, that even as I said something like that, we got a mixed reaction. Why do you think? We are in the unhealthiest relationship culture I've ever seen. And that, listen, family, there's grace for this, right? Gosh, we fail. We're meant for intimacy. We're meant to have somebody. That's not my point here. But my point is this. You need, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Stop adding stuff to your faith. Stop saying I need 95% Jesus and 5% of this. That's misplaced faith. I'll just skip like half of my notes for this section. I'll just close them up, why don't we? Let's soberly ask ourselves this morning, all of us, all of us, myself included, that God would, would reveal the objects of our faith and to ask ourselves, what in my life has the capacity to cripple me that was never meant to have that power? And it's time for you to start taking that power back. It's time, to, time for you to start transferring that battery level where it was meant to be. Let's stop pouring energy in dead spaces, family. Let's plug into the ultimate source. So we see two levels, two levels of what trials can do. The first is it reveals genuineness in, in our faith, which can be beautiful. And if that's you, if you've been through trials and you've seen your faith genuine, be encouraged by that. That's so encouraging because that means God is real and doing his thing. And I think many of us can say yes and amen. And the second thing is that it reveals the object of our faith. Guys, it is not meant to condemn you or shame you or guilt you to realize your faith may be in the wrong thing. It's meant to change your life. It's meant to give you freedom that you didn't even realize you were shackled to. And the third thing is going to come out of verse 12. The third thing is going to come out of verse 12, which says this. It was revealed to them, this is talking about the prophets, like, like dudes way back before Peter and Jesus. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. We're going to talk about that. It was revealed to them, revealed, 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 revealed. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that now have been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The even angels long to look into these things. It's almost as if it's a synopsis to this idea Peter's bringing. He references the prophets, okay? In the Jewish culture, again, context is massive. In the Jewish culture that they were writing to, they would have understood this. This would have felt like familiar language. They would have been really, really familiar with prophets like Isaiah and all these like all these crazy awesome people that did their things, Jeremiah, all the above. And he gives it this way and he says that it was revealed to them. Remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about how the way I define God talking to me is downloads, right? He like downloads, it's almost like he sticks a USB in my head and he's just like, here you go. That's what's happening right here. It's being revealed to them. It's being revealed to them. that do, if, if God is, if even as I'm talking about the object of your faith, God showed you something, you're like, I, I think that this is that for me. This is that for me. Like, like, it would cripple me to lose this. It would cripple me to lose this bank account. It would cripple me to lose this relationship. It would cripple me to lose this status. Whatever it might, it would cripple me to lose this child. Whatever it might be. Do you realize he's talking to you? That's him revealing to you. I think we over-spiritualize this thing where it's like, well, it was revealed to the prophets. He's revealing stuff to you today if you listen. They aren't any more spiritual than you. They are, in fact, you have more access than they did because Holy Spirit's here and Jesus has already come. 
How about this? You want to know what they're prophesying about? The Christ. You know who you know? The Christ. We can put a name on him. I wonder if we look at people like Isaiah and we're like, well, I want that. You have it. So basically, Peter's like, hey, believers, you, 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 us, us, me, me, me. I know what you're going through. I know that you're walking through hard things. But even like the prophets of old, look at them. Look at the Isaiahs. Look at the Jeremiahs. They went through horrible persecution. They worked endlessly for God. It talks about how they sought him diligently. And even them, it was revealed to them that their trials and work were for a purpose. And the purpose was you. The purpose was you. You want to know why Isaiah went through all he went through? For you. That's crazy to think about, huh? For the future church. For the future people that would congregate wherever it might be, at the gates or in a building or in houses or whatever. They went through, they went through. For you, here's my last point, because I think this is the encouragement that this shows us, is that trials reveal the fruit of your faith. I just love, I have in my notes it with like 13 E's, Love, I take my notes the same way I speak. It's weird. (laughs) I love that this implies that so much of the fruit you're enduring through trials is for others. You know why I love that? Life is so unfortunately minimally about you. I mean, if we had to put a percentage of how much life is about you, even your life, oh, it's a very, very low number. I don't know how many zeros we'd have to put after the decimal point to just show you how little life's about you, how little life's about me. You know, it's a beautiful thing. I really plan to achieve a lot in my life. I think God's called me to big things and all that good stuff. I hope you guys feel that way about yourselves too. And and while I'm uh, excited about that and proud about that, I fully acknowledge I will die one day, turn into a bunch of whatever. I think I'm gonna get cremated, so I'll be ash. I'll be weird ash on someone's mantle. Until those generations die, nobody knows what the pot's for. They throw the pot away. That pot gets thrown somewhere else. Phil's name is not a thing anymore. And you know what's so funny? I can genuinely smile and be like, cool, cool. Because life's not about me. You know how freeing it is to live life and realize you don't matter that much? Don't get me wrong. God loves you. You got a purpose. You have, he has plans for you, declares the Lord. And yet you don't matter that much. You don't matter that much. I don't matter that much. You know how free you can live life when you realize it doesn't matter that much. I, I listen to y'all fan. I'm not like, I do like to write a lot. I actually kind of, this probably will never come out. I kind of started a book called It's Not That Serious. Because <laughs> I just wish people in this world would just grasp it don't matter. Like I get it. Your banana wasn't ripe at Walmart and you want your money back. It just ain't that serious. I know getting to work is the most important thing in your world on time. And that person that cut you off can go straight to the fiery furnace. It don't matter that much. It don't matter that much. I know that you really want the promotion because that would just get you. It don't matter that much. That money ain't going nowhere. You ain't taking that money with you. All those vaults full of money, all the crypto, all the everything, ain't gonna, it's going to be worth nothing one day. Man, I'm not trying to invest too much of my personal, emotional, and spiritual health in crap that does not matter. It don't matter that much. And when I see that the prophets went through what they went through for us, 
not for themselves. It literally says it was being revealed for them, not for themselves. Can I encourage you? When you're, God's revealing the genuineness of your faith and he's revealing the objects for your faith, it's not even really about you. He wants you to get crap out of the way to influence other people. I said this two weeks ago. You know how many of us, if we walked through trials and we leaned into them, would be super, super impactful on the other side because we've actually, whether or not we known it, stepped into our purpose by walking through a trial? We're gonna get there in just a second. But it's crazy to think this way because your trials can literally become your purpose. Like he's saying, hey, what you're going through is not in vain. It's not without purpose. You're gonna be able to pour hope into other people, pour faith into other people, pour life into other people because you leaned into Jesus in a season of trial and with integrity can encourage other people as well. Can I tell you who I don't have that much interest in hearing from? People who have avoided every hard thing in their life and have a lot of opinions. Not that interested. I wanna see some mud on your feet. Because when I see someone with some mud on their feet, I know they stuck through it and I wanna hear their story. Want me to prove this to you? Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know, trials become your purpose. Well, that's just like a corny thing. Let's talk about it. You wanna know who leads the vast majority of life recovery meetings? Like A-A-S-A-N-A, former addicts. You want to know who leads the majority of special needs programs? Parents who have a special needs child. You want to know who leads miscarriage support groups? People who have had a miscarriage. You want to know who leads anti-bullying campaigns? People who were bullied. You want to know who leads support groups for someone who lost a child? Someone who lost a child. Do I need to keep going? If you run away from trials, you may be running away from your purpose. So the first fruit this identifies of our faith is other people. Man, when you fight in the faith, are you looking for what it does for you or are you looking for what it does for others? You wanna know why you might not be seeing any fruit? Because you stared at yourself the whole time. You know what's interesting about an iPhone? I'll show you, I don't have it, Never mind. I don't bring it on stage because it'd be vibrating the whole time. If you turn your light on, go ahead and try it. Turn your light on, turn your flashlight on. Now swipe down and open the camera. Yeah, you can all try it. What happened when you uh, turned the camera on? The light went out. It's almost as if it's hard to shine the light of Jesus and others when you're staring at yourself. And then we wonder why the social media culture today is so toxic. Come on, somebody. This first service didn't get that, by the way. Holy Spirit, that was for y'all. Come on. Listen, walking through trials with Jesus as the object of our faith, it doesn't just produce things for other people, though. I do think that's where we have to focus. I think we got to realize it's so much about others and building up the kingdom of God. But, but the beautiful thing is God never just leaves us there. It also says this in verses 8 and 9. It says that if you believe in him, you are filled through trials with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For are you receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls? Walking through trials with Jesus as the object of your faith actually produces inexpressible and glorious joy. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody in this room been through something really hard and can't explain it but felt joy? I 
I have just one, I have a bunch of stories, one specific, and I can't even give details because it's still super sensitive to this day. But I'll never forget seeing something at a, at a relatively young age, 20 or something like that, 21 maybe. Something that, that has, has wrecked tons of people's lives and my flesh and, and my emotions in the moment came out and I wanted to confront this instance and all this good stuff and, and I didn't, thank God, and me and my wife left this place we were at. We went to a hotel we were staying at, um, which shows you the amazingness of this story. We weren't even home. We get to the hotel and I just remember saying, like, can we just put on worship music and praise God? And, and I remember her face. She was just like, what? Why was that what you would want to do right now, like, there's going to be fallout from what we just saw. There's going to be, a, I mean, years of issues from what we just witnessed. And I was like, because God answered a prayer. And I can't explain it, but I am so joyful right now. And I just want to praise Jesus, even though I just saw something horrible. Maybe you've experienced something like that. Do you see that's what this is? It's trials revealing fruit of your faith, inexpressible joy, even in something really hard. If you've been in a situation from that, you should just celebrate because that's literally a fruit from God. And then it goes on to say, even though these trials are here, we are actually receiving the ultimate fruit of our faith, the salvation of our souls. What a beautiful promise and reminder of the gospel that by grace, through faith, we are saved and spend eternity in heaven with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, no matter what life here looked like. And while we're all going to get up there with different experiences, different life stories, once we get up there, not one of us is going to be worried about those. And it's a fitting realization as we talk about the trials revealing the fruit of our faith, because who was the ultimate example of this? Jesus. Christ, the King, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He stepped into the trial, knowing the trial would actually bear and reveal the fruit that God desired. He did not run, he endured. And this just points us right back to victory in Christ that we opened up with, that not only does he have victory, but through him we can have victory in our own lives. The ultimate victory was achieved through the ultimate trial. Not through the ultimate blessing, not through the ultimate great day, not through the ultimate things feeling really good and honky-dory all the time. The ultimate victory was when the ultimate trial, maybe if you're in a trial, God is trying to bring the biggest victory of your life through it. And that same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you and me. Therefore, we can walk through trials genuine in our faith with the correct object of our faith and experiencing here and now the fruit of our faith. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's available to you today. So what's it for you? What question do you have to be asking yourself as you leave today? What object of your faith maybe has the capacity to cripple you that was never meant to have that capacity? Maybe, maybe you felt bad in your faith at times because of hard times, and yet he's not shaming you or guilting you. He's actually saying, hey, I'm doing this to mature you because I love you. And maybe you got to start looking for the fruit of your faith in different places. So much less here and so much in others. Understanding that the ultimate fruit is the salvation of our souls that's available for us today, family. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that these truths are available only and fully through you. That whatever we walked in here with today, you're completely aware of. 
You're so gentle with us. You're so kind with us. You love us so deeply. You love us with a love that I just think we know nothing about. And yet even a glimpse of it changes everything. So Father, for the person walking through something hard today, first and foremost, would they be encouraged that you are directly next to them and you know everything about it. Father, would you help us to grow in our maturity? Would you help us to identify the areas that our faith may not be in you but in other things? And Father, would we be aware of the fruit of the faith and would we celebrate the things that you're doing here? We love you and we thank you that these are the ways that you work for us, in us, and through us. We love you. We trust you. We give all these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand and worship.